We started this series September 14th of 2014. Ephesians more than I have during this time. Uh, when I finish books of the Bible that we've been in for a while, I always have very mixed feelings. I have uh, a little bit of sadness to be leaving a book, not that we're, we ever leave one permanently or anything like that, but when you're in one for a while, you, you feel like you've gotten to know the, the direction and the thrust and so on, and uh, so there's that, that little bit of uh, sadness, but then there's also the anticipation of where we're going next. And I told you last week that I would uh, tell you where we're going to be at least for the next few weeks, and then I'll reveal what we're going to start this fall uh, after, uh, during that time at some point. For the next four weeks, we are, uh, uh, after today, we're going to be looking at the Scripture that supports the answer to uh, Heidelberg Catechism question number one. Okay, now let's go forward and... Uh, that was one of the more puzzled looks I've seen from, from you all. Uh, we have, uh, we've used that in worship, and I'm not going to uh, go over uh, the answer at this point. It's about a paragraph long, uh, but whenever we have used it in worship, I, I just I love the answer there. But it's the answer to this question. What is your only comfort in life and death? Who wouldn't want to know the answer to that? What is your only comfort in life and death? And then it's a magnificent statement from God's Word. And it's a wonderfully deep theological statement, and it's a place where... Uh, we see theology uh, just intersect with life and, and have a profound effect upon how we look at what goes on in this life and also what will take place with our death and beyond that. So let's come back to Ephesians. I've told you before, and I guess it's usually when we get to the end of a, a book, that if, um, if Connie makes homemade bread, or back when my mom made homemade bread, that I'm the one that wants to eat the end pieces. I love those. Now, we called them the heels. And I think that's the best part of the whole loaf. When it comes to the Word of God, we don't want to ignore the end pieces. Either the very beginning, thinking that we got to get right into the meat of things. Don't forget the very beginning, and don't, don't ignore the very end. So let's pick up in chapter 6 of Ephesians with verse 21. Verse 21. 
so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, every word and every phrase that is in your Holy Scripture is there because you put it there. And because you gave it to your people long ago, but you did so so that we would have it today as well. So we pray that you would open up this final portion of Ephesians, this glorious book of the Bible. And will you teach us from it? Will you move us? Will you comfort us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So that you may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Just a a, a word of explanation who... That is, we're really going to focus on the next few verses more so, but he was a trusted friend of the Apostle Paul. Uh, He would have been well known to them. They would have recognized the name and respected. He might have been Paul's scribe. In other words, wrote down the the, uh, letters for him. He not only carried this letter to Ephesus and the letter to the Colossians. But just to show you how trusted he was, he accompanied Onesimus, who was the converted slave uh, back to Colossae. Now that's in uh, the book of Philemon. And so Tychicus went with him and in essence brokered the return of that slave to his Christian master and was therefore a reconciliation for a a right relationship to continue on. But what we have here basically is what, what I would call an apostolic Facebook, okay? Because what he's doing is he's, uh, Paul is giving his status his location, and then he is uh, sending a great article by way of this letter that would edify all who read it for centuries and until Jesus comes back. So that's what he says here at the end right before 
what we would call a benediction. I've used this as a benediction many times at the end of our services. A benediction is, you know, you break down the word, bene is good, diction is word, so it is a good word that uh, he is uh, causing them to receive here right at the end. And the first thing, he's not just wishing something on them, but in essence bestowing, and this is not because of his power, but from God. So he says, peace, verse 23, peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the first sermon uh, last September, I know if you were here, you remember it like it was yesterday, but just for those that may have started coming since then, we started with the, the, the opening section, the other end piece. And in that, uh, we, we have his greeting, but then we spent some time on his statement, grace and peace. And then we have his final statement, which in essence comes for, full circle. He starts with grace and peace, and he ends with peace and grace to you, in essence. So, who is this peace with? Well, this gives us an opportunity to go back and see where we have been. Because throughout the book, he described this grace and peace that was to be upon this church in Ephesus that was in a very difficult situation. They were a minority and a despised minority. They were trying to understand what is, what is it like to be Christians in, in this world, in our city, that is so against Christianity, which we more and more are relating to in our world as well. <clears throat> and so he described the new community, what it is like. And how radically different it, it was from the community that they had been in before they knew Christ and that they continued in. So, who, who are they to have this peace with? Well, in Ephesians 1 and 2, it talks about peace with God. Now, if you remember, this was looking from the 30,000 feet, looking from God's perspective in terms of our salvation. That lengthy sentence that, uh, that Paul went on and on with. But here, here is how it is described, this peace with God. Verse 3 in chapter 1, he says we are uh, blessed with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, chosen in Him, in love. Verse 5, predestined for adoption. And by the way, we went into every one of these in, in some depth. Numbers, paid, uh, verse 6, blessed in the beloved. Verse 7, redeemed, forgiven. Verse 9, shown His will. Verse 11, 
We have obtained an inheritance having been predestined. All of that is from God's perspective, a perspective that we wouldn't even know about unless He revealed it to us. And then chapter 2 talks about how it applies from our perspective. So what does this peace with God look like? What does it mean for us? And he begins with the fact that we are all dead, spiritually dead in our trespass and sin. And then in verse 8, we're saved by grace through faith. Not of our own doing. Not by our works. It is a gift from God. And then he talks about peace with what I would call natural enemies. Not that, not that there's anything natural about being uh, enemies, but, but in our world there are those that we're, we're going to have this enmity with if we don't have the intervention of the Holy Spirit. And so he, he talks about this and, and peace particularly you who are in the church, remember he was talking to the two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. Both of whom had come to Christ. Both of whom had trusted in Christ alone for their eternal life. But they couldn't figure out what does that mean for us all to be in the same church? Because we have had this, this division among us to where we can't really have a unity. And that's where he says in 2.14, for He Himself, Christ, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. You see, that's the difference in the, the new community where the the Jew and the Gentile that should be at each other and they are in the rest of the community. But in the church, they're not only tolerating one another, they are brothers and sisters in Christ. They're all a part of the same family. And then he talks about a, a, a peace with our, our spouse and our family. Husbands and wives. Parents. And children, I've sometimes described that passage about family, and we spent about uh, four weeks on, on that section. That, that section on marriage, I've sometimes said it's the worst-kept secret of having a fulfilling and a right marriage. And it's a, a badly-kept secret because it's not a secret at all. It's just right there. doesn't mean it's, it's easy to execute. In fact, it's impossible to execute unless we walk in the Spirit. Without the power of the Spirit, we're unable to do that. And he had just made that clear in the Scripture itself. Mutual submission and love will lead to a peaceful marriage and family life. And then he talked about peace with our overseer and, and those we oversee. Slaves and masters in this case. And he, he talked about that which the world of that day and our world really couldn't understand 
because it's way different than we are taught and they were taught. It's different than the way they treated one another in those two relationships. But he said it is different when you are in the community of faith, the new community. That's why it's different. We still have roles, but we are brothers and sisters in the same family. And that was unique to the new community. Now he goes on and talks about grace. Verse 24, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And we see how grace and and love are, are just inseparable there. Grace back in Ephesians chapter 2 in terms of salvation. Now, most believers in Bible-believing churches understand that we are saved by grace and that it's not by our works. Unfortunately, too often, where we get tripped up is we tend to, to know that, yes, of course we're saved by grace, But then there's the tendency to act like we keep our salvation by works. In other words, if we do this and this and this, we'll keep God happy. And that's not it at all. We are saved absolutely by grace. And we've got to live every day by grace. But here's where it fits. Grace enables us to walk in the Spirit and it leads us to obedience. Flowing out of that grace. And that's what the new community should be characterized by. Now he addresses this, grace be to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. You see who he addresses it to? All who love Jesus. So it needs to be clear that what he's, he's, he's talking to believers here. He's not putting this on those outside the church. He's saying, this is to you who are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life. You're the one that can experience and display this love. Now, elsewhere in the New Testament, it describes who we are who have this love. We are those who were first loved by Him. 1 John 4.10 In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of for our sins. The propitiation for our sins. I want to tell you that is amazingly good news. Because here's what it means. The propitiation is the one that turns aside the wrath of God. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. So there's a sense that this this table, 
I'm going to call it the table of grace, but we could call it the table of propitiation as well. Because the only, the only reason we have a right to come to this supper is because of that wonderful news that God is not angry. His wrath has been satisfied in what Jesus did on the cross for His people. And so we who are His people are then invited to protect together. It's the best thing that could have happened to us. You might think there's other great things that could happen to us. There's nothing that compares to what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so I have in the outline, I've told, called this the, the table of, of grace. But the next phrase in there is love incorruptible. Some of your versions may say an undying love. And I like that. But the, the incorruptible is a, is a good translation. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So what he's saying, and we've, we've looked into that passage into some depth, is that the, the love is one that, that doesn't diminish. It's non-diminishing. It's based on the resurrected one who himself shall never face corruption. Now, he had described that love in chapter 3 of Ephesians. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. A few decades ago, almost four now, uh, Connie and I went to a pastor and asked him if he would uh, do our wedding. And uh, he was the pastor of the church that we both attended. And he said, uh, yes, I'll, I'll do your wedding. And uh, we, this was back before premarital counseling was in, you know. <laughs> and so we had this one meeting with him, and he said, and of, of course you'll memorize your vows. Now, what I didn't know at that point is that you could say no to a pastor. I didn't, I didn't really find that out until I became a pastor, and I realized that... You can say no to a pastor. But he said that to us. We were both very young. And so we said, okay. And he gave them to us on a card to memorize. And so when we got to the wedding day um, and we're uh, in preparation for it on that day, I wrote down some key words on my hands, you know. <laughs> like, I, Dale, take thee, Connie. I thought if I could just get started, I'd probably be okay. But I also wrote the last phrase, which is, 
as long as we both shall live. Now, way back then, it was a popular thing to write your own vows. Some of you are going to remember this. Maybe some of you wrote your own vows. But that last phrase for many who wrote their wedding vows, they changed it. A lot of you know where I'm going. They changed as long as we both shall live to as long as we both shall love. You get it? You see what that's automatically saying? It is saying that, that this love that we have, it's wonderful and we love each other, you know, and, and all that. But we pretty much expect that the law of love is this, that that it will diminish and probably die at some point. And, and we, even in our vow, we want an out at that point. That's different from the law of love that he's talking about. The love of Christ the love that we should have for one another within the family is incorruptible. It must be if it's from God. The base of love should not be on how well things are going. Some people want to look at God as, as that eager bellhop. You know what I mean? Not that I've had much experience with bellhops, but I've, I've seen. You know, they're the ones that when you, you call for something, that they're going to be right there. They will never contradict you. They will get you whatever you want without judgment because their whole goal, that bellhop, his whole goal is to make you happy. And some people treat the God of the universe like some kind of a bellhop. That, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to him when I need him. And then I'll tell him what I, what I want. And then, sadly if He doesn't give you exactly what you want when you want it, for some, they treat Him like that bellhop. They, they get mad at Him and maybe withhold a tip. It's a dangerous position to be in. That is not undying love. That is not love incorruptible. It's love based on circumstances. And Paul is saying... There is a way that we can experience and enjoy a love that will not diminish, and it is only by His grace. Undying love is not obtainable outside of Jesus Christ and His grace in our lives. Now this verse almost sounds like if we have an undying love, we'll be granted grace. It can't be. Because if that were the case, then the grace would be earned and it wouldn't be grace. It couldn't be. We talk about the means of grace. 
It's not that we earn something. That'd be contrary to the whole idea of grace, but rather that we are strengthened and we grow by those means. The means of grace are the Word, prayer, and the sacraments. We have enjoyed prayer. We have been fed His Word. And now we are called to the sacrament as a family to be strengthened in Him by His grace and to enjoy and display a love incorruptible. This is what Paul said about this table. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it. And He said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. A glorious invitation, a gracious warning. The invitation is for those who are trusting in Christ alone for their eternal life. Now, the way we practice it here at St. Andrews is you don't have to be a member of St. Andrews. But we do ask that you have uh, publicly professed your faith, that you are a part of His church. Because that means we're in the same family when that's the case. But if you haven't done that yet, we're really glad you're here. And we want you to watch. We want you to see the meaning of this. And we hope that someday you will make that profession and be a part of the family that is invited to this table. But here's another thing. Even if you are a part of the family, you're trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life. But if you have some sin that you are so hanging on to and you're unwilling to deal with it, you are not repentant. You know in your heart if that's the case. And if it is, you need to let the bread and the fruit of the vine just pass by. Because otherwise, you would be making a mockery of the Lord's table. And that's what His warning is about. Don't mock 
the Lord's table. It is a serious thing so to do. And yet, if you're in Christ, even if you have doubts, even if you have things you are struggling with, this is the place to be strengthened, to be nourished, a means of grace to strengthen you in your walk, to pick you up, encourage you forward in a renewed obedience to Him out of a love for the one who first loved you. Let's bow together. So, Lord, we ask now that you would take these elements that are before us. We know there's nothing magic about them. These are, these are things bought at, at the local grocery store. They could be on our shelves at home. But we are asking you to use them by your power, by your grace. Use them as we commune with you by faith to grow us and satisfy us and nourish us. And Lord, we will keep doing this until you come and we sit down at that glorious table with you. We give you all praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen.